As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Jean! Eugene Fodor! Jean, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi. Hello. Oh my god. It's nice to see you. Not see you, but you know, and be back to normal. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am, of course, Liv. I have not gone this long without releasing a new episode in, well, the three years that this podcast has been going on. Yep, it's three years this month. It's just crazy that it's been going on this long, but also that I've been able to reach as many of you incredible people as I have. Never would I have guessed so many people would enjoy listening to a person with an excess of passion rant and rave about Greek mythology and the patriarchy. It's truly the most exciting and wonderful thing that's ever happened in my life. And speaking of, well, like I mentioned, I have a book coming out, hence why June was such a wash. I had to write the whole thing in the month of June. Anyway, I'm still tired. I hope very soon to be able to share some more information about it, including a cover and a title and the incredible thrill that comes along with that life dream being realized. 
I can tell you, though, that it's about Greek mythology. Surprise, surprise. But it isn't either of the projects I've mentioned in the past. Those I'm still working on, and this book will only bring me closer to have those additional dreams realized, so stay tuned for all of it. In recognition, though, of the three whole years of doing this podcast, I'd also like to hold a Q&A uh, soon, towards the end of the month. So if you have any questions for me, any burning question about mythology, particular gods and goddesses, or really anything else that's not weird and invasive, email it to mythsbaby at gmail.com. I also plan to hold an Instagram live soon, so stay tuned to my Instagram feed for that and a merch giveaway that I will be holding later in the month. And with all that out of the way, where were we? Well, we were deep inside the insane and far more detailed than I led on in my earliest episodes of this podcast, Story of Theseus. Ugh, that guy. Theseus is already notorious by this point in our story. He traveled from Trozen to Athens to seek his father, Aegeus, and his place as prince of Athens. And along the way, he'd killed a bunch of random people that, we hope, were killers themselves. But honestly, with Theseus, who knows? He'd reached Athens and had a run-in with his new stepmother, Medea, the badass queen witch, who is now out of the picture and back to a nice life in her home country living her best life, I imagine. Theseus had then defeated the Marathonian bull, formerly the Cretan bull, best known as the father of the Minotaur with the queen of Crete, Pasiphae. And speaking of Crete, in our most recent new episode, we talked all about that fateful father-son duo, Daedalus and Icarus and their tragedy, but most importantly for this next story, the labyrinth. That is, the incredible maze built by Daedalus that not even he could find his way out of. The enormous, impassable labyrinth built with the explicit purpose of housing the Minotaur, keeping the monstrous, horrifying half-bull, half-man hidden away from prying eyes. And remember, the Minotaur is hungry. This is episode 82. What kind of hero abandons a princess on an island? Theseus and Ariadne. Oh, Theseus. Where we last left our so-called hero, he was about to set sail for Crete with 13 other young Athenians, six boys and seven girls, all bound for the same fate to be released into the labyrinth so that they would become lost and, in time, found and fed on by the Minotaur, or just dying alone lost in a labyrinth. It wasn't an ideal fate, nor one particularly moral in nature. It seems that before Theseus set out officially, though, he also stopped at the Oracle of Delphi for whatever guidance he might get in his quest. Apollo, through his Pythia at Delphi, told Theseus to take Aphrodite as his guide. Aphrodite, of course, isn't often used to accompany mortals on quests, but Theseus is different. He loves ruining women. He does the necessary sacrifices for the goddess, and so she is with him on his journey. Theseus set sail, having promised, promised, 
his father Aegeus, that should he succeed in killing the Minotaur and thus freeing the Athenians from any future need to sacrifice their young people to the monster, he would change the sails on his ship from black to white. This, Aegeus affirmed, repeatedly was vitally important. Aegeus, for his part, will stand on the cliffs of Athens, watching for his son's ship, and so he will know the moment it arrives on the horizon whether or not his son has survived. Such an easy thing to make his father's worry simply disappear. The young Athenians bound for sacrifice to the Minotaur sailed to Crete, Theseus among them, depending on which source you go with, Theseus is either disguised among the Athenians or, very obviously, Athens' prince who chose to go among them. Of course, in the latter case, the Minoans don't seem to find him a threat and believe he's decided to sacrifice himself for his city. They arrive and, according to one source, are paraded through the town, put on display to the people of Knossos as a show of the island's power. According to others, it's all very hush-hush, then the Binator is tucked away in the labyrinth, he's hidden both for the safety of the Minoans and out of the shame of Minos. In that case, I imagine, the Athenians too would have been somewhat hidden when they arrived. But however it happened, Theseus came upon one of the princesses of Knossos, a daughter of Minos and Pasiphae, and half-sister to the Minotaur himself, Ariadne. Ariadne's other sister is, importantly, Phaedra, but more on her later. Theseus came upon Ariadne, and she was taken with him. She wasn't a big fan of her life on Knossos. Her father had hidden her half-brother away in an enormous maze, and obviously her half-brother was himself a bit of an issue. She just wasn't particularly fond of her homeland, or at least some of her family. And so, when this handsome, strong, and seemingly brave prince of Athens arrived, Ariadne saw a way out of her situation, a way off the island, and hopefully to a better life. She fell for Theseus, whether out of a passionate love or straight opportunism, it doesn't really matter. The point is, she wants to leave Crete with this Athenian prince, and she's going to help make that happen. So before Theseus is set loose into the labyrinth, bound for death either at the hands of the Minotaur or from dehydration or starvation within the walls of the labyrinth, Ariadne comes to him. She comes to Theseus and tells him how she feels, that she desperately wants to leave Crete with him, and that in order to make this happen, she's going to help him make his way through the labyrinth and kill her half-brother, the Minotaur. Theseus, for his part, totally is down with Ariadne and promises her that should she help him and leave successfully with him, he will be with her always. Ariadne gives Theseus a spool of thread and a sword. She tells him that the thread is his means in and out of the labyrinth. He's to fasten the thread somewhere at the entrance and slowly unwind it as he makes his way through the maze. This way, he'll know if he's reaching the same spot twice, and he'll be able to find his way back out again by following the thread. By giving him this thread and a sword, Ariadne basically makes herself the one and only reason Theseus survives the task. It's not always the case that the sword is given by her, but presumably they didn't let Theseus just carry his sword from Athens to Crete like normal. It only makes sense that he got it from her, or apparently the Minotaur is not always killed by a sword, 
But truly, based on what we know, I don't have a ton of faith in Theseus' abilities with his own hands. I mean, the dude has basically just done a lot of murdering with murderer's own weapons of, or means of killing at this point. He hasn't proven himself to be remotely close to Heracles when it comes to overall strength. Similarly, according to some, Ariadne is given the thread by Daedalus, but you know what? I prefer it to be all her own doing. It's not like the idea of using thread to find your way through a maze requires knowledge of how the thing got made. Anyway, we're giving credit to Ariadne and not to Daedalus. What exactly would he have done without Ariadne? In this part of the story, Theseus is so much like the asshole hero Jason. What would either of these men have done with themselves had they not had strong, intelligent women there to handhold them through the tasks they're now so famous for completing? With the help of Ariadne, Theseus successfully reaches the Minotaur in the labyrinth and slays it. With the use of the thread provided by Ariadne, Theseus and the other sacrificial Athenians are able to find their way back out of the labyrinth and, I can only assume, with the continued help of Ariadne, they all reach their ship without issue. The Minoans are kind of left out of the story of the Minotaur other than Ariadne. There's very little information on the role played by Minos here, let alone other Minoans. According to Robert Graves, though, there's this whole sequence of events post-Minotaur, but I'm not able to find a primary source for it. According to him, Theseus and Ariadne lead the Athenians to the harbor, two of the Athenians having killed guards. This requires, apparently, two of the young boy Athenians to have disguised themselves as girls. It's not clear why they didn't just use two of the seven boys. Seems weird to me and unnecessarily dismissive of the women. Anyway, in that case, he mentions some kind of naval battle before Theseus leaves. But again, I can find little reference to that in my source. He seems to be referencing Pausanias, whose book I don't have, but apparently need. But in any case, Pausanias is from the 2nd century AD, so he's not exactly an original Greek source. There is also an anecdote found in some sources about before Theseus killed the Minotaur, he and Minos having some kind of battle of the sons of gods, where Minos asks Theseus to prove he's the son of Poseidon, and Theseus asks Minos to prove he's the son of Zeus. There's some diving into the ocean and bringing something back up. It's all very dick-measuring contesty, but not particularly important to the story itself. But enough about the little bits and pieces of story available. Back to the real issue at hand. Theseus, Ariadne, and the Athenians have left off Crete and set sail. They next land on the island of Naxos. And Theseus's asshole behavior once again rears its shitty, stupid head. The group spends the night on Naxos, with Theseus and Ariadne getting right to business and consummating their so-called love, their dedication to each other, their pseudo-marriage, by having sex. Then, while Ariadne is sleeping, yeah, yeah, Theseus and the other Athenians simply sail off, leaving her there. Leaving Ariadne, who just single-handedly allowed Theseus to complete the entire mission he'd set out to do and kill the Minotaur without dying himself, either by the Minotaur or withering away in the labyrinth. 
In addition to giving up her entire family and home, he left her alone on an island far, far away from her home island. Honestly, how Theseus can be this shitty in so many stories is so, so beyond me. And also, I love it. It's wildly entertaining, isn't it? And before anyone comes at me, yes, there are versions of this where he doesn't abandon her out of pure malice, though that is truly one version. And instead, because he's beaten in some battle by Dionysus, who then takes her from him, or because Artemis kills her there. Yes, there are alternatives. But all of them having Theseus continuing on without Ariadne in one way or another. And one of the more widely accepted versions is simply, he left her there. Because... He's a giant, mind-blowing asshole. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the ferryman of souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a work by Ovid called The Heroides. 
It's much less well-known than his classic Metamorphoses, but equally interesting in its own way. Ovid's Heroides, which I've mentioned in at least one past episodes, are entries by various people famous for their couplings, presented as letters by those people to their former significant others after one was ruined by the other. It's mostly women, but there are cases where classic couples each get their own entry, letters from Helen to Paris and Paris to Helen, for example. Medea has an entry, Penelope to Odysseus, Briseis has an entry, and of course, Ariadne. Ariadne's letter to Theseus in Ovid's Heroides comes right after he's left her and before her fate is decided. Ariadne's story, spoilers, ends super well, but before it does, she takes her time to be incredibly furious and hurt by what Theseus has done. Or according to this translation I have by an old white man, quote, Ariadne is little more than a pitiful, if not despicable, victim of her own foolish infatuation. So if anyone has any better translations of the Heroides to suggest, my ears are wide, wide open. In her letter to Theseus, Ariadne retells the story of her abandonment on an empty island. How it felt to wake slowly, thinking you're in a situation of perfect bliss, accompanying this man on his journey home to Athens, where you'll be his wife and be safely far away from your family and all its bull-related drama. How it feels to wake drowsily and reach out for that man, only to find an empty space where he was only hours before. Ariadne, in her letter to Theseus, retells how she wandered Naxos, hoping still to find him, that he'd just gone elsewhere to prepare, maybe, that maybe he hadn't really left her completely alone on a strange island far from home with absolutely no way of getting back. She talks about running across the sandy beach, calling out Theseus's name in vain with only the rocks to hear her. She tells Theseus in her letter how she went to the highest place she could find and that there... In the distance, she could still see his ship. She hoped it was some sort of horrible mistake. She flung her veil over a tree so that if anyone looked back, they could see it and return to fix what surely must have been a mistake. Ariadne's letter continues. From there, she lets herself fully realize what's happening. That she is completely alone in a strange place that she's been abandoned. The tears flow, coming in gasps. Finally, once she's calmed, she wanders the island, describing herself wandering like a backhand, awoken by the god Dionysus. A telling statement, given what will happen to Ariadne very soon. She goes through waves of emotions, wandering the island aimlessly before returning to the bed where she slept with Theseus, the last place she'd been with him before waking up alone. There, she cries. Eventually, she turns to exactly what I've been saying this whole time. Where would Theseus have been without her? How quickly, how violently would he have died had she not given him the thread with which to find his way out of the labyrinth? She remembers the oath he swore to her, that he swore on those very same perils, that as long as he lived, he would be bound 
to her in love. Ariadne continues, wishing her brother Androgios were still alive, that none of this had happened. Were he alive, Minos wouldn't have waged war. The Athenians wouldn't have to sacrifice their youth to the Minotaur. None of this would have happened at all, and she would still be in her home with her family. She may not have loved them and everything about her life, but she'd choose it over abandonment on an empty island. Ariadne's letter in the Heroides is beautiful and heartbreaking and properly describes what Theseus did. She hates him more than I do. Fortunately, this horrifying fate of Ariadne doesn't last long. According to most interpretations of the myth, soon, it's said, she's visited on the deserted island of Naxos by a god. Not Zeus or even Poseidon, not a god who's out to rape and ruin her just for being there, for being a woman. Ariadne is visited by the god of wine and partying and general good times, Dionysus. But that's not the only version of Ariadne's fate. In others, she tragically kills herself on the island, having been abandoned and alone so long. In another, like I mentioned, she's killed by Artemis, which leads me to, in one of my favorite books, The Marriage of Cadmus and Harmony, Roberto Colasso makes an interesting connection between Ariadne and a woman named Coronis. You may remember Coronis from my episode on Asclepius. She is his mother, and Apollo had Artemis kill her for having sex with a mortal after she'd been raped by a god. He connects it to the version of the myth of Ariadne where she too is killed by Artemis, but according to him, it's on the order of Dionysus. In terms of the mythology, it's a bit hard to track completely, but it's interesting. Colasso proceeds to drill down so deep into the both of their stories that he suggests that the man Coronis had sex with after being raped by Apollo was, in fact, Theseus by another name. It's fascinating shit, and as I've done before, I'd highly recommend you read that goddamn book because it's stunning. Colasso does, however, give Theseus a little too much credit for my liking, but then nobody's perfect. While there are many versions of the fate of Ariadne, or whether or not Theseus really did leave her there of his own accord, on his own malice, based on lots of evidence and my own desire to retell these stories in a specific way, as we continue on with the story of Ariadne, she was abandoned by Theseus and shortly after, visited by our favorite god, he who loves wine even more than I do, Dionysus. But much like Theseus, for now, we're going to leave Ariadne on the island of Naxos. Theseus without Ariadne, the woman who helped him stay alive, continued on home to Athens. The ship sailed, and Theseus concerned himself not with the woman he'd just abandoned, nor with the impending reunion he would have with his father Aegeus. We don't know what he thought about, but according to the sources I'm going with, he certainly wasn't thinking about either of them. They sailed and sailed until, finally, Piraeus, the port city of Athens, was finally in sight. The Athenians were absolutely elated. We don't hear enough about them. 
those people accompanying Theseus on this whole journey, but it must have been pretty stressful to believe you were about to be sacrificed to an absolutely monstrous minotaur only for that to suddenly not be a thing. Then you leave a woman on an island because the asshole captaining your ship told you to, and finally, finally you see your home in the distance? I mean, what a relief. But they weren't the only ones looking out across that stretch of currently unnamed Mediterranean Sea. Aegeus, Theseus's father, who had only recently been reunited with his only son and was so very concerned for his well-being on this quest, was watching the seas on Piraeus with bated breath. He stood on those cliffs every day, looking out for the ship that would or would not be carrying his beloved son back to him. And finally, finally he saw a ship in the distance. At first he was excited. He had high hopes and so much faith in his so-called heroic son. Surely Theseus would have survived. He could see the ship in the distance, but it takes a moment or two before he can make out the color of the ship's sails. Its sails were, of course, of great importance. His son, his beloved son, Theseus, had sworn to him. He'd promised that he would change the colors of his sails to white if he survived the encounter with the Minotaur. But the ship Minos sees in the distance, the ship he knows with absolute certainty to be the one his son left Athens in, still had its original black sails. Aegeus was absolutely inconsolable. His son is dead. The sails on the ship have confirmed it. What would he do now? Theseus had come to him so late in life, finally bestowing on the king an heir, someone to carry on his name, but also the kingship of Athens itself. Without Theseus, Aegeus finds his life pointless. Why should he go on if he has to live knowing his son had died trying to save Athenian citizens? What a horrible death he must have suffered at the hands of the Minotaur. Aegeus can't stop himself from thinking about it, all of it, dwelling on it. He's a broken man. So, as he stares out at the ship and his black sails getting closer and closer to the shores of Piraeus, bringing with it only horrible news, Aegeus makes up his mind. He doesn't want to live without Theseus. There's no point. He's got nothing left. Aegeus throws himself from the cliffs overlooking the sea and lands in it. He was dead, but he'd given a name to that unnamed stretch of Mediterranean. It would be known as the Aegean, and still is. Greece even has an airline named after him now. Theseus, of course, had forgotten to change the sails on his ship. He was quite simply a selfish asshole who'd managed to forget the one thing that his father had made him promise, the one thing that would have made his poor father happy as he watched the ship approach, rather than utterly, completely heartbroken. Theseus is, as we all well know, just a complete asshole. Oh, nerds, thank you all for listening. I hope you all agree. I think this was a pretty good way to go back to normal. That was fun. I'm so excited to be back on track with regular episodes and regular readings of the Iliad. Things are progressing behind the scenes of the podcast too. And I I really hope to soon be able to announce that I can do this full time and therefore devote much, much more time to it and more effort and 
oh, it'll just be really, it'll be really good. Including finally, finally researching the Oracle in Atlantis and Amazons. These, along with many other topics, tend to be just too research heavy for me to get very far. I want to, but then all I have is two days a week max to prepare an episode. And those are always taken up by preparing the immediate next episode. Anyway, a girl can dream. I also wanted to share a quick life anecdote about Theseus and Ariadne, just because, you know, I took this course on, I think, uh, 18th, 19th century literature, English literature during my undergrad. And I have this habit in all my English courses of finding some way or another to turn a term paper into one simultaneously about Greek mythology. I really think it was a skill. Anyway, we had to read Middlemarch and I was the only one of my friends who actually managed to finish it because it's freaking huge and then decided to turn a single footnote that mentioned some minor similarity between the main character and her lovers and Theseus and Ariadne into this crazy comparison of two versions of Theseus and Ariadne, which I'm not totally sure the prof understood, but she was impressed enough to give me an A+. Only complaint was my citation of Edith Hamilton's book, but I never got to defend myself. I have this super old copy that straight up doesn't have copyright information. Wasn't great for a works cited page, so it wasn't really my fault. Anyway... There's the insane Middlemarch Theseus Ariadne rant you never knew you needed. Needless to say, I've always been an over-the-top dork. Thank you all. Please, as usual, rate, review, subscribe. You know, follow me places. You're all wonderful. Stay safe. Stay home if you can. And if you live in a COVID-heavy area, America, I'm looking at you. Stand up for what you believe. Black lives matter. Trans rights are human rights. I am live and I love this shit. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. 
In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. All 12 episodes of The Passage are available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.